something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does it. AM 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. Tim Weisberg here. Matt Costa behind the boards. Science advisor Matt Moniz behind the madness. And uh, we have a, a terrific show for you this evening. We have something that I don't think has been done on, on radio yet that I've heard. Uh, you know, you've heard about angels on other programs. Uh, you've heard about demons on other programs, including this one. But what you haven't heard is angels and demons together in the same discussion because so much of what each side represents and what what each side you know causes are directly in relation to each other so we're going to get into all of that and a whole lot more uh, with our special guests we have keith johnson demonologist in the studio with us and we have renee smith angelologist on the phone now uh, keith runs his own uh, organization new england anomalies research which you can check them out at nearparanormal.com uh, it's a it's a new website address there to make it a little easier, huh, Keith? Oh yes, <laughs> a lot easier. And and you can check his website out and get all kinds of information about demonology, as well as on the Atlantic Paranormal Society dot com, uh, the TAPS Demonology Department. You can find out more there. And Renee is the angelologist for TAPS as well, so there's also an angelology department uh, for you to learn about that as well. How are you doing tonight, Renee? Coming there. All right, there we go. And and so uh, this is your first radio interview, you said. Yes, it is. So it's pretty exciting because I, I, I don't think that angelology has been represented enough in the paranormal field because it's almost like people look for the bad side of things. Exactly, yeah. And, and that's part of the reason why I started this department uh, within TAP. You know, because Keith uh, was existing with the demonology department, and I, you know, was looking at everything and saying, well, you know, we definitely need a balance. Now, Keith, you've been a demonologist for a number of years, right? Yes, I have, quite a few years. When did you get your start uh, in this realm? I got my start when I was still a teenager. The first paranormal investigation group I ever belonged to was affiliated with Rhode Island College, and uh, my brother Carl and I, of course you know who Carl is, and we had always been interested in spirit phenomena. We got intensely interested in demonology more and more, with the aspect of the non-human spirit realm. And it turned out that our first major case, our first major investigation was full-blown demonic. And we hadn't intended it that way, but that was certainly a way of getting our feet wet. Yeah, that's a, a hell of a way to start, uh, literally and, you know, figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, Renee, uh, how did you uh, drift toward angelology? It's always been an interest uh, it, with me and with my family. Um, I've had, you know, all kinds of paranormal experiences, and I've just kind of looked at um, the angelology aspect of it. It's kind of funny. Um, somebody very close to me, a con- cousin of mine, uh, her name was Angela, and she died at a very young age, and that kind of inspired me to look into angelology and just um, the spiritual aspect of it all. And so did you 
join TAPS as an angelologist, or did you join as an investigator and this became your focus later on? Exactly, the latter of that. Um, I became, I joined as an investigator, and then I became um, an angelologist as I, you know, worked my way through the group. Were any of your investigations uh, angelic in nature, do you think? Um, not particularly, no. I have used, I have called upon angels within my investigations, but uh, I have never had an investigation specifically that, was, uh, that involved the angels. A lot of our listeners are uh, paranormal investigators themselves, either already professionally or, you know, in the, you know, in the amateur stages of getting groups together. Mm-hmm. Uh, how beneficial can angels be when you are going up against uh, the paranormal? It can be very beneficial, partially, especially if you're working towards something that might be, if you're working on um, a case that might be a negative case, you can actually uh, use them for protection. And it can definitely help with the clients to show, um, you know, to be more spiritual, and it does help within the case. And, Keith, going up against the demonic on a, on a pretty frequent basis, yeah. and knowing that you are uh, a religious person yourself, do you use angels uh, as protection as well? Yes. Most, most definitely. Renee and I both do. We, we use angelic protection. We do an angelic invocation whenever we're going into a situation like this so that we can have these positive spirit beings on our side combating and fighting for us. Are there specific angels uh, that will work with you in this, in, this, uh, in this protection, or is it just a generic, you know, any angels that are listening, please help us out? Well, of course, the main one Renee will tell you is St. Michael, of course, who's the warrior spirit against Satan himself, and he's the guardian saint of the exorcists, so to speak. So this is, he's like the patron saint of paranormal investigators as well? Yes, who go against negative spirits, yes. And exactly uh, how is it that in your regular paranormal investigating experience, how is it that angels and demons come to get involved? Uh, do you, is it is it something that they're either the res- you know they're either the cause of what's going on, or do they actually insert themselves into other hauntings? I think many times they are there to begin with, but they masquerade as human spirits or something very benign, and they attempt. These are the negative spirits I'm speaking of, and they attempt to gain people's trust through various means of deception, such as, of course, people fooling around with the famous Ouija board. And uh, little Sally Mae comes in and, and says, well, I, I'm very alone, and I've been dead for a long time. I need a friend, and that's a way to gain trust. Mm-hmm. By the time you invite the spirit in, it's a little too late to just say, we don't want you anymore. Uh, the angelic, we intentionally invite them in. We think they're there already. Everyone has guardian spirits protecting them. But, of course, if it's a very negative spirit uh, a situation, we always pray for angelic protection, so we won't be walking in alone, essentially. And Renee, do the angels uh, contact humans, and do they try to uh, speak with humans as often as we hear the demonic does? I think they definitely uh, can. I have heard of different um, circumstances in which they have. Uh, for example, in many cases, if somebody is in a um, terrible circumstance, sometimes if it's life or death, they will claim to see an angel in that circumstance. Um, they can also 
they can show up in in different forms. They can show up in human form as a person, you know, helping out another person. So I, I think that they definitely um, manifest themselves just as much as the demonic can manifest. And if that happens, if they do uh, show up in human form, is there any kind of tip-off that it's that it's an angel, or do you just never know? Sometimes you can never know. Um, I have heard of circumstances where you'll have a very feeling of um, peacefulness, you know, very solidary. Um, you might notice that they, they, they seem a little bit brighter than mm -hmm. normal people. There might be a light associated with them. I've I, also, oh, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was also going to say that I, I've noticed that um, they can actually, where demonics and um, spirits can actually use energy, they can actually um, expel energy. Because I know that a lot of times with a demonic, sooner or later, uh, a demon or a negative entity will give itself away. Uh, and I do think that in terms of the angelic, there's so many instances where they come in and they insert themselves into a situation or they you know, they help a person and, you know, you'll never know. It, it's just a feeling that you take away from it that it was, it was something good. Exactly, yeah. And also there's another aspect of an angelic presence. Sometimes people report a very sweet smell as almost of roses or some kind of fragrance. And uh, you'd agree with that, right, Renee? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. You have... A good feeling, or it's usually, you know, associated with a good smell or a good feeling. You never feel scared or negative when you're coming up against a force like that. And, and conversely, with a, de with a demon or a demonic spirit, you can get a rotting smell or just that negative vibe. I mean, for an average person that's being assaulted by a demon, uh, they might not realize it, that that's what they're dealing with. Like you said, you know, they'll, they'll disguise themselves as other spirits. But for a demonologist, you can pretty much walk into a situation and, and you get that feeling. Yes, yes, you do. And it's a very, very familiar feeling. It's, it's hard to describe, and it's not something you can use as scientific proof. But your senses tell you when you walk into a demonic situation, you usually know right away, especially after you've been exposed to it more than once. Well, I, I don't think there can be scientific proof uh, for the angelic or the demonic only because it supersedes science, I think. I think we're dealing with something, uh, Matt, not to insult you know, what it is that you do for a living, but science is something that's of the human mind. I'll be the first one to admit science is limited in what it can do. And I don't think that, I think outside of our existence, I don't think science matters. I think uh, to the angelic, to the demonic, things just are. Well, science doesn't matter to them because they are them. And science is just our way of trying to explain what it is that goes on. Around. No different than, you know, when the Greeks had their gods right. and they assigned these different circumstances to different gods and different activities of these gods. And I think that these beings supersede what it is. Uh, that we're trying to study about them, and they, they look at us and say, shake their head and say, good or bad, you know, you're never going to figure this out. What is the benefit of having, you know, an angelology background in paranormal investigating if, besides just for the protection aspect, I mean, what else does it come into play uh, in terms of the spirits that you've encountered? Does it ever help you say if there's a spirit that, that isn't at peace, can you ever help them, you know, connect with the angelic? Personally, I've never been in a, a case where um, I, I've done something like that. I know that it 
definitely helps, as I said, with the clients um, to kind of help them deal with the issue, especially if they are particularly religious. Um, I'm sure that it, it could work that way, where um, you could somehow lead a spirit to an angel. Because, you know, some mediums uh, will go into a, a situation with a spirit and they will try to help that spirit move on. And I think that uh, somebody who is aware of angels and, and aware of how to, you know, I don't want to say utilize them, but how to contact them, how to uh, make them aware of a situation, it just seems like that could fit in the same type of relationship as a medium does. Yeah, yeah, I could see definitely how it fits. I've been in those situations where um, I've seen a medium do that, so I, I haven't dabbled with it just yet, but uh, I could definitely see where that could work. And we know that the demonic is something that basically you don't want to mess around with because it's more powerful than you, uh, It's unless you know how to go against it. And, of course, when Keith goes against it, it's not Keith that's battling the demon. It's Keith and all the sides of good, you know, God and angels and whoever else. Does anybody really need a 60-inch television? I, I, I just knew it was going to happen. Matt, how many weeks has it been? How many weeks oh, has it been? Not since the first or second show. Uh, no, not since uh, I think John's Zappos. <laughs> yeah, it's when we talk about the demonic. This is what happens, Renee. I, I apologize. That's okay. The computer <laughs> will start firing by itself. Uh, different things will start happening that are weird, and we we can't help it. And now Keith is in the studio, seeing it go on, so he can vouch for us that we're not just playing tricks on people here. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, get, getting back to the question, I mean. He's using uh, the forces of good to go up against demons. Is there, you know, that type of uh, need to be careful when you're dealing with the angelic? Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say um, that there is a need. You don't want to, it's just like with anything, you don't want to be doing the incorrect thing. Um, you know, in a religion, you don't want to be doing incorrect, um, trying to do different spells or whatever, or anything wrong that could either um, mess something up, that could insult them. And you also have to be careful where you could have a demonic pretending to be angelic. That's what, that's what I'm wondering is is if they're oftentimes uh, they use that as an opening to try to get at somebody. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely seen that happen. So you, you do have to be careful not to be too trusting and too, um, too much into what you're doing because you want to be sure that, that you know what you're dealing with. Are there not particular angels, and I'm referring to the seraphims, that are uh, dangerous to deal with, in other words, to look upon them? Uh, if I recall legends correctly, uh, could turn a person, I uh, can't remember if it's paralyzed or what have you, but there are bit, there is a certain negative effects associated being in their presence. Well, a seraphim is a very, very awesome being, as Renee will tell you. Mm -hmm. And a seraphim does not usually interact with humans, so to speak. Of course, there is in the, the book of Isaiah where there is reference to seraphim and uh, where they're actually seen and they have six wings and they're very, very fiery, awesome beings. So I certainly wouldn't want to defy one. But then again, you've got to realize there's the opposite end. There's the holy seraphim, and then there's the demonic spirits that were once seraphim themselves. So they themselves are awesome beings. Renee, why don't we explain to people who might be unfamiliar what seraphim are exactly? 
Okay. Um, well, seraphim are actually the top um, of the highest order of angels. There's basically um, nine orders of angels or, or nine choirs of angels, and each one, as you go further down, becomes closer to human. Why don't, why don't we go through them real quick for people uh, that might be unfamiliar? Because to me, I always thought that, you know, there was angels and archangels. Those are the ones that most people are familiar with. Those are actually the lowest possible. Um, they're the closest to humans. So when you're normally experiencing angels, that's who you're, you're going to come across. But um, going from the top to the bottom, there are the seraphim, the cherubim, the thrones, dominions, the virtues, the powers, the principalities, or um, they're also called princes, archangels and angels. And so uh, what are the differences between these different levels? I mean, are, are some of them, you know, only work directly with God? Some of them have other duties that they perform? Or? Yep. Uh, well, the seraphim are, you know, basically the highest order, um, as Keith was saying previously. The cherubim, they're kind of helpers of God's, and um, if you read... Uh, some of the scriptures are actually guardians of Eden as well. Um, the throne, they're, they carry out God's decision. They're um, made of, they basically represent um, pure humility and peace. The dominions, they regulate duties of other angels. So they're kind of management of uh, the lower angels. So this is where it starts going um, a little bit lesser. You have the virtues, which they're considered the shining ones. Um, they considered they control the elements, um, the powers. They their main role is um, they protect humans from evil. The principalities um, they are they're guardians of the cities and the nations. They also help to guard against evil. Uh, the archangels, they will carry on God's message. So when you see, um, when you hear about angels giving specific messages to people, those are what you're seeing are the archangels. And just regular angels, those are the closest to humans. And they're kind of like the third party that work between God and humans. And um, they're also made up of guardian angels as well. And so, I mean, we... This is going to deflate the human ego a little bit here. <laughs> but in terms of the heavens, I mean, really, how much are humans and what happens on Earth part of heaven's business? I can imagine that it's probably not that big of a portion of what they all do. Mm -hmm. Is it really just the archangels and the angels that deal with us, per se, and, and the rest of them are busy with other things in the universe? That's what I would say uh, pretty much happens is that we, I mean, as Keith had said earlier, the higher the higher order of angels, especially the seraphim, um, you wouldn't want to come in direct contact with you, and they wouldn't want to, you know, same thing with them, they wouldn't want to be in direct contact with you either. So, yeah, generally when um, we're dealing with angels, it's between the archangels and the angels. The rest of them are kind of up there doing their own thing, catering to God, and um, doing some of their own duties. And when we say up there, I understand that uh, in older times, ancient times, 
you know, up there could mean the heavens in terms of an actual place with, you know, a cloud you could walk on. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think in modern times more when we say up there it's more of a higher plane of consciousness rather than a physical location? Yes, I, I would say that it would be a plane of consciousness. Um, I do, myself, I do believe in having some, some alternative place that you go to, mm -hmm. but um, I don't necessarily agree that it's a, a physical place that you kind of float up in the clouds and over a sudden you're in this. This other location. So what I, what I mean is, is it possible that uh, you know some of these archangels might look different to different people because they they don't have an actual form, or do they have like a regular form amongst themselves? No, they they normally ha will appear in um, whatever form that that you're most familiar with. So you know, if I speak English and I'm you know I'm Caucasian, they're not going to show up as you know, somebody from Africa that speaks a different language than mm -hmm. me, they're going to show up as somebody that I can familiarize myself as. Because we hear it talked about in, in movies and, uh, you know, just through different uh, stories and legends we've heard over the years, and that is, you know, if you looked God directly in the face, uh, you wouldn't be able to comprehend it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably similar with a lot of these higher angels, is if you were to actually come in contact with them, it would... You know, just blow your mind because your mind can't wrap itself around the concept of how these beings are higher than us. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that that would be something that um, we would come across. Now, Keith, as much as angels uh, don't really deal with humans so much on a, on a daily basis in terms of their duties to God, demons... How much are humans uh, a part of what their focus is? Because their whole reason that they were cast out of heaven was, you know, they were sent to Earth and, you know, a sub-Earth. Uh, so how much more are, are humans a part of their interactions? I believe that the demonic are very involved in the affairs of humankind, very involved, especially more today than ever. However, there are certain ranks of the demonic, just like there are of the angelic. And when you see this uh, pandemonium going on, like the uh, disgusting smells, the uh, blasphemies written on the wall, people becoming s scratched, physically attacked, this is the lower order of the demonic. I mean, they're all, of course, fallen, and uh, they're all of the Nephilim, which means the fallen ones. But when you get this, like, base vulgarities and people being attacked and possessions of humankind, that is the, the low order. That's the foot soldier, so to speak, mm -hmm. of the demonic uh, hierarchy. They are sort of controlled and fed energy and information from up above, from more powerful demonic spirits that control them and actually feed them spiritual lifelines, so to speak. And... Um, very rarely do you get the high order of the demonic uh, engaged in actual uh, possession of human beings. There are exceptions to this, but it's very rare. For instance, the uh, exorcism of Emily Rose, I'm sure you know that was based upon a true and actual incident mm -hmm. of uh, demonic possession, where it seemed in that true case that there were high orders of the fallen angelics involved in that possession. But this is very, very rare. And Satan himself becoming involved in a case of demonic possession is extremely, extremely rare for that to happen. 
But uh, by the same token, I can imagine that it would serve the purpose of one of these lower-level demons to proclaim itself to be Satan. Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, anybody who's been in this into demonology for a while has seen that, that there are demonic spirits that will answer, well, I am Satan. They seemingly have the right to say this because they may not be Satan himself, but they are of the Satanic kingdom, so they're representing Satan, so they do say this. And... In terms of the evil that you faced, I mean, if you're facing these lower-level demons mm-hmm. uh, when you go to battle, can you just imagine the power that these higher demons must have? It's an awesome amount of power. But, you know, I always consider this, I always take this in mind, that um, these we are humans. We're in a physical life. We are kind of, uh, I mean, compared to an angelic being, we are so vastly inferior. And then you get these these uh, spirit beings, these angelics that are, are, they have such an incredible amount of power, and yet they themselves are created beings. They have their limits. They all, all of them look up to a higher power, whether it is demonic or angelic. They are all created beings. And there is, I believe there is only God who is omnipotent in this manner. Well, why don't we, we're going to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, I'd like to talk about how the separation came about between angels and demons. And, of course, if you have any questions uh, on this fascinating topic, please do not hesitate to give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We also have the live chat room up and running on the board. Uh, go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the message board, and you'll find the live chat room where we're discussing angels versus demons tonight. And you can uh, log in there and post up your questions because we'd love to have them. We want to get you all the answers that we can now with, you know, as we say, always say, there are no experts in the field, but you will not find two more knowledgeable sources than Renee Smith and Keith Johnson. And we'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. He asked us. Silent Assassin, Matt Costa. What would we do without him? He's a technical wizard. Are you going to actually like get business cards made up that say technical wizard? I'm going to get business cards that say Silent Assassin. Silent Assassin. We're going to make Silent Assassin t-shirts, I think. If you'd like to get a Silent Assassin t-shirt, shoot us an email, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. We'll make a big one with Matt's face and <laughs> doing the shh. Speaking of shh, you know, that was the uh, the mark of the... Archangel Gabriel in the in the films The Prophecy, which, you know, probably uh, stretched a little bit of this stuff, uh, but it was still entertaining nonetheless. But we'd like to hear your questions on angels and demons, so please give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, and we will do our best to get them answered for you. 
And uh, we are talking, of course, to Keith Johnson, demonologist, and Renee Smith, angelologist. They both work with the Atlantic Paranormal Society, also known as TAPS, uh, from the television show Ghost Hunters, who uh, we are happy to report are coming back for a third season in the fall. And also, uh, Keith runs his own organization, New England Anomalies Research, and uh, we will talk a little bit more about an upcoming event they're doing here in New Bedford in the month of July a little bit later on. So stay tuned for that because you're going to get your chance to actually see some evidence with your own eyes, uh, share your experiences, and, and learn what you can from Keith and, and his brother and his wife because they work together as the D3. <laughs> so, Thank you very much. <laughs> and one of the things that uh, you might want to talk to him about is the subject of demons because a lot of people know, you know, through their religious upbringing, the stories that they're told from their various different religions. But basically, how did demons go from being these beloved angelic creatures that are, you know, working so closely with God to being the embodiment of evil? I believe there was a falling away. There was a rebellion in the heavenly realms, and we know very, very little about this actual tragedy which happened uh, so many eons ago that is so beyond the scope of our comprehension. What we do seem to know is that there was some kind of rebellion among these spirit beings to their creator God, led by a rebellious spirit, sometimes referred to as Lucifer or Satan, who wanted to ascend into the heavens and become like unto the Creator, wanted to essentially take over the throne of God. And obviously he was not successful in this. And then humanity was created, which uh, really threw him over the edge. He uh, became in a uh, jealous rage because God had gifted humanity with the gift of life, with the gift of spirit, with the gift of intelligence, with the gift of being made in his image. And, and not uh, to interrupt you, Keith, yes. but uh, one of the key points I, I always heard, too, is uh, God gave humans free will. Yes. When the angelic were not given free will, they had to obey God at all times. Well, it seems that at one point, angels may have had free will, from what we can gather. Mm -hmm. They may have had a choice. It seems that their choice was somewhat more limited than humans, but then again, they have a greater responsibility. They have a greater scope of understanding and intelligence. But there was some kind of mysterious rebellion, and because of this, Satan, whatever you want to call this great being, he's sometimes referred to as cherubim, was cast out of the heavenly realm and cast into the earth. Supposedly, he took a third of the angelic realm with him. And there is scripture in the book of Revelation to back this up, where he's referred to as the great dragon. Now, there is the book of Enoch, which is not in the Bible, but it's, it's one of the uh, books that were left out. Mm -hmm. However, we gain a lot of insight into this, where as in the book of Genesis, it is just barely uh, glossed over in Genesis 6. However, um, Enoch goes to a greater length of describing this, that there were actually spirit beings known as watchers who were inhabiting the earth at one time. It seems to indicate that these beings populated the earth and it was around the time of the rebellion that the earth became void, became uh, just a wasteland, and then it was seemingly recreated. When humanity came into the picture and began to multiply after the original fall of man, uh, these watchers, or great spirit beings, began to 
somehow mysteriously interfere or contaminate our society. Now, we all watch Star Trek. We know that the prime directive is not to interfere with cultures, not to contaminate mm -hmm. them. Apparently, this is what these great spirit beings did. They contaminated our culture and even interfered with our genetics. Going so far as to produce offspring which were genetic freaks. Now, these are not known in history or mythology or in the Bible as genetic freaks. They're known as great heroes, great superhuman beings. They are known as the Nephilim, the watchers who fell, and also the progency, the uh, children that they produced, were not normal human beings. They were half spirit, half men and women. And these are also known as the Nephilim. And they began to populate the earth along with humanity until the bloodline of humanity was totally, just totally corrupted. There was uh, evil. It was all through the world. It was a terrible place. And they were wiped out in the Great Deluge, the Great Flood, most of these spirit beings. However, because, and this is supported mainly in the Book of Enoch, because they were not totally human, they could not die as humans did. And so they became many of the evil spirits or foot soldiers of the demonic realm that we know today. And they are controlled or helped out by, say, their, if you want to call it their parentage, um, many spirit beings which are in the heavenlies, the lower heavenlies, feeding these spirit beings energy, helping them out with their superior intelligence. Some of these great spirit beings are locked up in what we call Tartarus or hell, and uh, they are in chains of darkness. Some of them will be released at the very end times. But going on to the... Um, Angels not being omnipotent like God, however powerful they are, there is not, of course, many people, as you know, are predicting the end times. We only have this, this amount of, we can almost predict it to the day. Mm -hmm. Well, there is no angel, not one angel, knows when the last day will be. This knowledge is not given them, and that's very specific in, in Scripture, that no angelic being knows when the end time is. Only God knows. That's reserved for God. We can see the signs of the time, but we do not know until it upon us and a lot of the earth will be taken unaware but that's the basic origin of the demonic how they fell to earth and now why they're interfering with our humanity they are still and uh, by the way I believe they will be making they they are in the process of making a comeback these Nephilim these great spirit beings interfering again with our human genetics and our society and do you feel with a negative intent or with a positive intent? Oh, totally negative, totally negative. Because uh, I think if there are going to be end times coming, yes, uh, humans need to be made, you know, ready to to endure that. Right, right, and and just be aware, be alert, and uh, because there's going to be great deceptions, and these spirit beings are great dece deceivers. And uh, this gets into, of course, a lot of things. There are signs in the heavenly great wonders and the roaring of the sea. And we, we see this. We see the beginnings of this going on today. But on the positive side, we do have these great positive spirit beings on our side as well. And Renee will tell you, every time we go into a situation, like we've been saying, we do call upon these, these spirit beings. There's one instance where we were up in this community in Maine. It was in February. We were in a house with no electricity in an old uh, farmhouse. It was 40 degrees below zero, and we were freezing there. We were doing a, a blessing throughout the entire house there, and we were ready to pass out. We could hardly speak to the end. I had holy water with me. That was freezing solid, so that was of no use, but... Uh, 
Well, uh, Holy Ice has got to be worth something, too, though. Yeah, if we could get it out of the bottle, it would be. <laughs> We're trying to crack it apart and, you know, at least at least make some ice crystals. But, um, you know, Ren- Renee, I'm sure you remember that very well that night. Oh, yeah, yeah. Couldn't forget the cold. That's yeah, sure. yeah. Pro Renee, at the end of the blessing, I look at Renee and I say, "Renee, would you like to lead us in the angelic invocation?" And I, the poor kid couldn't move. She's just saying, "I'm a blank. I can't move." You know. <laughs> and so you know, we we were really in danger of frostbite at that moment, but it was successful, thank God. And I think we actually have a call on the line here for you. Nice. Good evening, you're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Hey, good. How you doing? All right. I had an um, actual ghost encounter at my friend's house down the Cape. Okay. And I think we actually have an EVP on tape. I have it here. It's pretty good. But it's strange because most of the activity happens around the house, not much, but it's actually centered around the bathroom area for some reason. I don't know why, but some of it happens in the kitchen, but mostly in the bathroom. It's strange. Well, I mean, bathroom is uh, one of the most... Uh, wet places, I mean, where there's a lot of water. Water, which, water, uh, juice. And, yeah. it, and it conducts, you know, spiritual activity very well. Um, now, are you a, are you an investigator or? No, no, we just put the tape down and see what happens. So. Okay, well, what we can do is we can try to play it, and it may work, and it may not. And if it doesn't, we'll have you just send it to us, and we'll play it on the air. Okay, let me try. I get the tape here. Sure, see, see, what, see what happens. Pull it off. If there's anyone in here that would like to speak with me, please say something. Is anyone here? Please give me a sign. At this point, I notice a disgusting smell. That was a little strange. What was that at the very end? It was. Was that the EVP at the end? Hello. Are you still with us? Did something strange happen there? Hmm. I think he's gone. Yeah. Hmm. And that did sound a little unnerving, though, didn't it? And it's a good point that uh, many of the cases we're brought into, people were saying, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I think my bathroom's one of the hot spots that's haunted. But mm-hmm. it is, like we were saying, it's an energy source running water. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, I hope that caller is okay. And I, I hope that uh, whatever it was that was... Bothering him didn't uh, didn't get him there, so and moving along. <laughs> so and of course, you know we we are talking about angels and demons. But if you do have any questions about anything related to the paranormal, you can call us five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred five zero eight two nine one zero five hundred, and uh, on our message board at spookysouthcoast dot com. Now we were talking about uh, that particular instance when you were up in Maine. There, uh, how many times have you and Renee worked together on? Cases that you think were demonic in nature? Actually, quite a few. I'd say at least a, um, a dozen or so. Yeah. At, at least, yeah. And, and you have to remember, a lot went on before the TV series Ghost Hunters. And, uh, Absolutely. We were out pretty much every weekend dealing with uh, these, these incidences. There was a case that took place in Brooklyn, New York as well. And... Um, See, we've got some background noise there. There it goes again. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. you've got to expect it. you got to expect it. But there was a case in uh, Brooklyn, New York, where we think that the demonic was involved. And Renee was in on that, too. Yeah, and, unfortunately, I missed the best part. But <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, we've got to tell about that part. Um, my brother and uh, Renee had left about an hour before, 
and it was in the wee hours of the morning, about uh, four in the morning. Yeah, I think. yeah, four in the morning, and everybody was just trying to keep awake. And they were in an upstairs room, one of the hot spots of the room, and they were getting EVPs left and right. And now it's pretty quiet. And all of a sudden, they look up, and Grant was in the room, Brian was in the room, maybe a couple of other people. They saw these lights just going around in all four corners of the room there, the bedroom. And suddenly they saw this kind of anthropomorphic form, just, just uh, it was almost like a white cylindrical form, but it seemed to take on humanoid form. It didn't have full legs and it didn't really have a, a head, but they could see like a torso and arms and a, and a waist. And it it's kind of stood up off the bed. Brian walked over to it. You know, this is one instance where he didn't run out saying, "Dude, run!" You know, he, he did actually. He did actually walk over to this. He reached out with his hand and and touched this being. He felt a, like a cold spot, and then it just vaporized. So, oh. so that that is a. This was a case where we do think there were demonic spirits involved. And how valuable is it to have? Uh, I mean, I know that you uh, have a lot of knowledge yourself. And one thing I do want to stress, I think at this point we should stress to the listeners is we're not speaking necessarily from a standpoint of any one religion. Right. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. everybody has their own faith and they have their own beliefs, but we are talking about the culmination of knowledge from all different kinds of denominations, and we're talking more of a historical aspect uh, in terms of how the angels and demons came about and. When we're talking about the way that they affect humans in their everyday life, you know, we're not necessarily talking about religious experiences for people. We're talking about experiences, about interactions. Yes. Uh, yeah. So just to stress that, I don't want anybody to think that you know we're promoting any one religion over another. I think we might actually there might actually be legal issues with that because we're on a commercial radio station. So we wouldn't want to do that anyway. Mm-hmm. But we are talking about you know just. In terms of the the paranormal and the study of the paranormal, how much angels and demons can come into play because it is all part of something that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sorry to to reinforce that um, you can find you can find angels in every religion. I have I've researched this, and every single religion it, they may not be called angels, mm-hmm. but there's some sort of a, a force that either um, connects with humans or um, may appear to humans at one time or another, and they could be anything. They could be angels. They could be deities. In, in some of the Greek mythology, um, you know, lesser gods are considered deities, and you could see that as lesser gods are actually considered angels. So, yeah, definitely every religion out there has something that, that represents an angel. Well, one thing I read in the angelology department of the TAPS website is that uh, even before you know organized religion is, as we understand it and as we observe it, uh, even back into caveman times, there were paintings on walls that depicted winged beings. Mm-hmm. And so this is something that you know people have believed in and people have encountered even before they realized what it was that they were worshiping. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there, there's been stories of um, all different religions and all different um, factions of life that describe some being that they can't, you know, that they can't quite determine what it is, but it, it can be associated with an angel. Now, R- Renee, doesn't the word angel come from the Greek word angelos? Yeah. Meaning messenger? Yep. 
Yes, and uh, in fact, Matt Moniz was just uh, telling me that uh, he once worked as a messenger, so I guess that makes him an angel. At least he was at one time. He's, he's far from well, an angel. I am associated with a group of angels, but they kind of ride motorcycles. Oh, I yeah, see. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're a different type. I remember of those guys. Yeah. yeah, I don't think those angels have wings. Uh, yeah, well, actually, they do. It, it's a, you know what I think? <laughs> I, with a couple of those angels that I know, I think it's a little bit harder for them to earn their wings sometimes than it is for the uh, the ones who work for God. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and so, as we were saying, you know, angels exist in in one form or another in in almost every culture, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, similarly, there's also the evil spirit uh, as well. It's kind of like that yin and that yang situation that if there's good, there's evil, and if there's representation of good, there has to be representation of evil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in other religions, is there the type of um, origin that we have with angels and demons where they once were all working together and then there was that break-off faction? Is that something that you've seen in other religions, or is it kind of like there's just the good and the bad? For the most part, there's uh, just the good and the bad that I've seen in, in most other tellings of what these beings are. So it's interesting that in however we want to categorize it, I don't know if you want to call it um, you know, Christianity or even Catholicism, or, mm-hmm. but how you want to categorize the angels and demons that Westerners seem to observe, uh, it's interesting that they once were together and then there was the break-off. Uh, and you see a similar, almost like a similar parable with humans, how they were once very close to God, and then they wanted the knowledge, and so they broke off from God. That's kind of a recurring theme, but whereas in other religions, there's, you know, the good and the bad, and if we want to even get a little bit Jedi, you know, there's the light side of the Force and the dark side of the Force, and that everything just exists in the middle and serves the greater balance. Yeah, a lot of other religions also, like, for example, um, the Muslim religion, they they believe in Jesus. They believe in a lot of the, um, a, a lot of the different pieces of the Catholic religion, mm-hmm. or the, um, if you want to call it Christianity, the Christian religion as well. They believe in that, but they, they have their own angels. For example, um... I believe it's pronounced Malaika is an exo- is excuse me is the Islamic term for angel, which in their culture also means messenger. So that is one recurring theme: is that it is a messenger for a higher being. We yeah. are we are coming up on the news, uh, but you know it's the problem with the different religions. I mean, we could do a whole a whole other show on the structure of Catholicism and Christianity and, you know, what purpose a lot of it actually serves. And that's probably something we don't want to start a debate on here tonight. But, I mean, different religions observe things in different ways. Are there other religions that you've encountered in your studies that do embrace their angels a little bit more than Western religions seem to do, that do interact with them more than Western religions seem to do? Or is there always that separation, always that reverence, like we talked about earlier? From what I have seen, it's it's pretty much um, there's still a separation. Mm-hmm. There's still some sort of a separation. So there there should be, as it seems in in every religion, there should be some sort of buffer zone between God and humans. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the purpose that angels serve. So then that makes the demons the buffer zone between humans 
Yeah, like in the Hindu yes. religion, you know, the, the belief in the jinn and the guardian spirits, which mm -hmm. could just as easily be mischievous spirits or mm -hmm. very detrimental spirits, so depending on how they are used or abused. So we have hopefully we have uh, explained some things to you that you might not have uh, understood about angels and demons, and hopefully we've opened up some more questions in your mind. Uh, we are coming up, like I said, on the news break, but on the other side of the news, we're going to do our little news segment, The Week in Weird, with uh, some interesting stories that we have coming up for you. Uh, some baseball fans might be interested uh, in one of these stories that we have to report. We like, we like to tie in a little baseball here, you know. And uh, also, uh, we're going to talk about why... Angels in the outfield. Exactly. I had to throw that in. Exactly. <laughs> the Los Angeles Angels <laughs> right, of Anaheim, yeah. or exactly, wherever they're yeah. from now. And uh, also, we will tell you why you shouldn't use your cell phone outside in the next couple of days, because uh, you could be taking your life into your hands. Uh, also, we will touch upon some uh, some interesting news out of South Korea about the space program they have launching there. And uh, how about meat in a tube, too? We'll talk about that as well. And uh, also, we will welcome your comments, your questions, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, we're going to continue our discussion on angels and demons. So please stay tuned. You don't want to miss it. Remember, go to SpookySouthCoast.com. You can sign up for our message board. You can put your questions in there. That's the way to get a hold of us all week, as well as our email addresses are on the website, SpookySouthCoast.com as well. And, you know, one thing you might want to do is you might want to log on there and tell us what you thought of the return of Creature Double Feature today. We'll talk about that a little bit during the week and weird as well, because our science advisor, Matt Moniz, was with the ghoul himself as it debuted on Channel 56. And we'll talk about what the future may hold for Creature Double Feature as well. You asked for it, you got it. And this is Spooky South Coast, Volume 2. Welcome back, hour number two, Spooky South Coast, a very special edition where we are talking about angels and demons. We will get right back into the discussion with Keith Johnson and Renee Smith in just a few minutes. But first, we have to do a little something that we call the Week and Weird. But before we do the Week and Weird, I'd like to talk to Matt Moniz about his adventures this afternoon. Uh, very jealous. Uh, of course, last week, for those who listened to last week's show about the return of Creature Double Feature, we had on Ernie Bach Jr., the car czar who basically sells every vehicle imaginable known to man, and uh, he's very good at it, but he's also bringing back Creature Double Feature. And so for those of you who saw it today uh, at noon on the WB56, it was, you know, surprisingly to everybody that, that tuned in, and I was on the Creature Double Feature message board uh, at, at the time, and to everybody that was watching, they were totally blown away by the fact that these were the original prints. I mean, these were bad 
He's I mean, the, well, the giant Gila monster. I mean, that was pretty good, but the uh, the Godzilla versus the Smog monster that was a bad transfer, and so of course it adds to the effect and everything. But uh, while we had Ernie on last week, he did extend an invitation for the Spooky Crew to join him at the private party. Matt Cost and I couldn't make it, but Matt Moniz went and represented us and represented us well. And so, uh, why don't you tell everybody just what the reaction was uh, to the return of Creature Double Feature? You know, amongst Ernie and his friends and family uh it was phenomenal uh ernie did a very good job at uh his part as the ghoul um he tried to capture some of the original uh cheese and camp so to speak that the original had and he did it pretty well and he did it with his own flair uh the little character he had with him stump uh was a pretty cool character like he said in in the show uh the reaction of the people who had not seen the tapes beforehand were actually pretty well impressed and the people that loved it the most were the kids now you got to remember these kids have never seen creature double feature exactly. and they thought it was a hoot so uh it went over well i i can say i was sitting on the couch this afternoon uh, when i got home from work watching it with my son who just turned two and you know he doesn't know what's going on but every time that you know ernie would do that laugh Mm-hmm. You know, as the ghoul, uh, my son would crack up. And, of course, when uh, Mr. Stump, uh, I believe his real name is Ignatio. Was yeah. He, was he there? Was he, was he, yes, he was. Was he whole? Or did they just uh, make no, him sit in the box whole. the whole time? Okay. So, and whenever Mr. Stump would make one of his little facial gestures, he just thought it was hilarious. I mean, this is two years old. And then, of course, you know, once you heard Godzilla's roar, uh, for years, I tried to figure out how they did Godzilla's roar. As soon as my son heard it, he said, elephant? <laughs> I was like, very good. You're very observant, son. <laughs> So, and, and you, uh, you said that you talked with Ernie a little bit. Right. I interviewed him after the uh, show was done. Um, he, I asked him what he thought of the way that they did it. He was very appreciative. He was really dumbfounded by the fact that the studio itself was gung-ho for it. All of the people that put it together were people that were in WB56 when the originals had first started. And, uh, yeah, from it was Steve a labor on of, down, yeah. They, yeah, it was a labor of love, according to him, for all of them. And uh, if fan base email gets back to them that they are into this, they, they might carry it on for possibly five more weeks if they get enough feedback. So if you want to make your voice heard, you can email Ernie directly, Ernie Jr., that's E-R-N-I-E-J-R, at bock.com, B-O-C-H.com. You can also uh, find that information on our message board at SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can email the WB56 directly through their website, WB56.com. Let them know that you liked it. Let them know that you heard about it on Spooky South Coast. They were nice enough to tie in a link to our page there as well. So we've been getting crazy hits. And he also extends a hello to both of you guys. Oh, well, uh, hello to Ernie if you're listening. And uh, we will definitely talk to you in the future. Uh, Maybe we can make some of that audio from your interview available either on the show or on the website. Sure. I also spoke earlier this afternoon with Ron Dwyer, who is the original voice of Creature Double Feature. For everybody who was wondering... You know, who was that announcer before Dale Dorman? There was actually two, Tom Evans directly before Dale Dorman, and then the original announcer was Ron Dwyer. He now is a radio host on a different station. I got in touch with him this afternoon. He was very open to speaking with us in the future. So uh, whether we revisit Creature Double Feature here on Spooky South Coast, maybe we'll do a special edition just for the for the website, something that we're looking into in the future is doing some uh, website-only shows. Mm. So maybe we'll put something on there uh, where we can talk to Ron and Ernie and, uh, and 
get Steve Ratner and everybody that was involved in the original Creature Double Feature as well and uh, share some more memories. So keep, stay tuned for that because we, we'd definitely like to work something out. And please, please email WB56, email Ernie Bach Jr. and let them know you loved it and you wanted to stick around. But now let's talk about something completely different, something we like to call The Week in Weird. And, of course, it is baseball season. Let's not forget that. And every season is also dying season. Hey, you can't help it. You can't decide when you're going to die. What happens if you die during baseball season and now you can't walk around with your Red Sox hat on anymore? Now you can't walk around with your Manny or your David Ortiz jersey on? How can you show your love for your beloved team in the afterlife? Well, diehard baseball fans will soon have a way to be close to their favorite teams in the afterlife, according to a story from Reuters. Eternal Image Incorporated, which makes customized caskets and urns, said on Friday to sign a multi-year licensing agreement with Major League Baseball that will allow the company to reproduce the names and logos of all 30 league teams on a new line of caskets and urns. Fans incorporate baseball in nearly every aspect of life, said Eternal Image Chief Executive Clint Midich, adding that the caskets can appeal to, quote, a market that is just waiting for a way to make team loyalty a final statement of a great passion in their lives. The urns and caskets will go on sale next year at prices from about $600 to $3,500, Midich said. Our clubs receive these requests with some frequency. We have really passionate fans, said Major League Baseball spokeswoman Susan Goodnow, adding that the deal gives the sport's governing body control of the tastefulness of the product. The tastefulness of putting Major League Baseball logos on your final resting place. The tastefulness. Of course, we talked about baseball ghosts and the love of baseball, even in the afterlife, a few weeks ago with our guests Stan Gordon and Mickey Bradley, who will be the authors of the upcoming book, Haunted Baseball. So uh, this could be a whole new chapter for them. Speaking of whole new chapters, Matt Costa, what do you have for us? Skynews.com reports that Phoenix has been named the sweatiest city in the United States for the third time this past year. With residents producing enough sweat in three hours to fill an Olympic-sized swimming pool, according to researchers, the average Phoenix resident produces almost a liter of sweat per hour during a typical summer day. The conclusion was based on the desert city, the desert city's high temperature average of 89 degrees Fahrenheit. Scientists at Procter and Gamble studied 100 cities, estimating that the amount of sweat a person of average weight and height would produce walking around for an hour from the average high temperatures of summer. The Texas towns of San Antonio and El Paso won the title in 2002 and 2004. Though Phoenix residents may be the sweatiest, residents in Miami, Florida have, have them beat as the most uncomfortable city due to its mix of heat and humidity. And this is where we insert the joke from Tim. Yes, it seems a little bit... Uh, <laughs> we kind of have a set format here. Uh, it seems a little bit weird to me that Phoenix would be named the sweatiest... Uh, city since I was always told it's a dry heat. Oh. Yes. Where's that rim shot? Why don't we have a rim shot in there? All right. Matt Moniz, why don't you tell us about something weird? All right. This one comes to us from routers. People should not use mobile phones outdoors during thunderstorms because they run the risk of being struck by lightning, uh, doctor said on Friday. They reported that the cases of a 15-year-old girl who was using her, her cell phone in a park when she was hit during the storm. Although she has been revived, she suffered 
a persistent health problem and was uh, using a wheelchair after the incident. Uh, usually when someone is struck by lightning, the high resistance of the skin conducts the electricity over the flesh and into the body, and it's what's known as a flashover. But if a metal object such as a phone or pieces of jewelry and alike uh, are in contact with the skin, it disrupts the flashover and increases the odds of internal injury or even death. Three fatal cases of lightning striking people while using mobile phones have been reported in newspapers in China, South Korea, and Malaysia. You know, growing up, uh, my mom always told me, don't talk on the phone during a thunderstorm, don't take a shower during a thunderstorm, and don't look out the window during a thunderstorm. I think every person's heard those old wives' tales. And, and, you know, it's pretty much, yeah. Some of it based in fact. Well, I mean, there is scientific uh, fact behind it. You know, you are creating... You are attractive to the lightning, uh, but at the same time, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's not any worse than standing out in the middle of a golf course, you know, raising your driver about right. to take a full swing. But you don't want to take the chance, then don't use your cell phone during the light. You know, the cell phone companies right now are, are really upset about this because they're going to say, hey, all these people now will be afraid, unjustly afraid to use their cell phone during a storm. And all of our overage charges are going to go down. What they don't realize is their cell phones don't work during a thunderstorm anyway. Generally. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, uh, real quickly, from Asia Times Online, South Korea plans to launch a new space program to search for extraterrestrial life, government officials said last Wednesday. The country's National Science Museum, which the government plans to open in September, is scheduled to initiate the program, dubbed SETI, by setting up a high-powered radio telescope in its exhibition hall, the officials said. Now, SETI, of course, stands for the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. It is a program that analyzes all kinds of radio waves from outer space in an effort to find non-human intelligent life forms. Now, this story from Asia Times Online talks about this like it's a new, unique venture, but SETI has actually been in existence for quite a long time. I believe this is just another branch of SETI that's going to be located in South Korea. The radio telescope uses a, a, has a 6-meter radius that will be set up in the museum under construction in Gawachion, a city 18 kilometers south of Seoul. Participants in the SETI program, in which the public will be allowed to take part, which is unlike the other SETI that we were talking about, they will assess the possibility of alien life through analysis of radio wave data transferred to their personal computers. Incoming radio waves will also be used to map out hydrogen distribution in space, area, in space as areas of high hydrogen concentration are considered to play a main role in the creation of new stars. So it'll be a little bit interesting. The search for extraterrestrial life is going to the masses. And uh, let's just, uh, I want to just wrap this up real quick with one more story from Matt Moniz about meat in a tube. Meat in a tube, yep. Which I'm sure you've created yourself uh a few times, or, or tried to. Well, I've come close to flubber a few times in the lab, but uh, that's a story for another day. Um, what if the burger you ate was created in a warm, nutrient-enriched soup swirling within a bioreactor? Edible, lab-grown chuck that smells and tastes just like the real thing might take take its place right next to corn and at the supermarkets in just a few years thanks to some determined meat researchers they have to be very determined scientists routinely grow small quantities of muscle cells in petri dishes for experiments but now for the first time a concentrated effort is underway to 
mass-produced meat in this manner. Hank Hagsman, a professor of meat sciences at uh, Utrecht University and his uh, Dutch colleagues are working on uh, growing artificial pork meat out of uh, pig stem cells. Uh, they hope to grow a form of uh, minced meat suitable for burgers, sausages, pizza toppings uh, within the next few years. A single cell could theoretically produce enough meat to feed the world's population for a year. But the challenge lies in figuring out how to grow it on a large scale. Experts believe uh, in vitro meat can uh, compete with uh, conventional meat by using nutrients from plant or fungal sources which could bring the cost down to about one dollar per pound. If successful, artificially grown meat could be tailored to be uh, far healthier than uh, any type of farm-grown meat. It's possible to stuff it if it's full uh, heart-friendly omega-3 fatty acids and if they adjust proteins and texture to suit the individual's taste preferences, and of course if they screen it for foodborne uh, diseases. Uh, this is a new technology to grow a juicy steak. However, it is still a decade or so away. No one has yet figured out how to grow blood vessels within the tissue. So they're pretty sure they can figure out how to grow ground beef, but the steak's going to take a little while. Uh, but still, I have a strange feeling that uh, as this news is being reported, billions of cows everywhere said, yes. Well, this is not exactly all that new technology. They've used similar things to grow uh, skin replacement parts uh, for burn victims. Uh, I've worked in, uh, as a matter of fact, one of the laboratories next to mine grows a type of synthetic skin specifically for people that have diabetes problems where the skin is ulcerated, they replace uh, this material, it's called aplograph, onto uh, the damaged areas. Uh, so this technology is not all yeah, new. How does that taste, though? I don't think it tastes as know. good as these burgers are going to taste. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, I will say this, I'm pretty sure that a scientific laboratory smells a lot better than a slaughterhouse. So that is your Week in Weird for this week. If you have any stories you'd like to submit to The Week in Weird, go to our message board on SpookySouthCoast.com. There is a uh, thread there for Week in Weird. You can dump a story off or a link to a story. We'll check it out, and if it makes the cut, we will give you credit, of course, as well as whoever wrote the story. So we will be right back after a quick break. On the other side, back into our topic for this evening, Angels and Demons with Keith Johnson and Renee Smith the demonologist and angelologist for the Atlantic Paranormal Society. We will also talk with Keith about his upcoming class here in the city of New Bedford. So stay tuned. You won't want to miss that. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Oh, 
up his case and he said, I'll start this show with fire poop from his fingertips as he rosened up his bow. And he pulled the bow across the strings and it made an evil hiss. And then a band of demons joined in and it sounded something like this. Keith, I don't know how many demons you've run into that can play the fiddle like that. Never have, actually. I, I never met one that can actually play the fiddle like that. But, oh, Ch- uh, Charlie Daniels. I don't know if I uh, want to. <laughs> Charlie Daniels is a little bit uh, super supernatural himself when it comes to playing that thing. You know, so. a couple years ago, as a total total aside, uh, I guess he was playing the Barnstable County Fair, which is a local event that happens here in the summertime, and uh, he was on stage playing, and the power went out. So, you know. He has his own problems, too, I guess, yeah, with the demonic stuff. it does happen. It does happen. And, of course, we are talking about angels and demons with Keith Johnson, the demonologist for the Atlantic Paranormal Society, as well as for New England Anomalies Research, and also Renee Smith, who is the angelologist for TAPS. Now, we were talking about, uh, before the news break, we were talking about some of the uh, different religions of the world that uh, have angelic and demonic uh, realms within their within their worshiping. Uh, are there any religions that you've come into contact with uh, that you've researched and studied where um, there is no representation of good and evil? Are there some of these religions where you just are? And Keith, that question is to you as well. Well, there's uh, in the, the movie and the book, The Exorcist, there was a Mesopotamian deity portrayed um, called Pazuzu, which is supposedly the demon that possesses the little girl. And um, it's kind of interesting because in actual mythology and folklore, Pazuzu was used as an evil entity to ward off evil. If you remember in the beginning, evil against evil, they mm-hmm. mentioned that. Uh, pa- statues of Pazuzu, and Pazuzu is supposedly, uh, I suppose you would call uh, a fallen seraphim because... Uh, it does have the multiple wings, the six wings deity. And people would post statues of Pazuzu in windows, in the kitchen windows, uh, facing inward to kind of ward off evil from coming in. And, uh, and my wife, Sandra, just reminded me of that, that. That is a portrayal of a fallen seraph there. So, I mean, there, it doesn't necessarily have to fall under the, the good and evil categories. I mean, we talked about the... Uh, the angels, some of the angels that do have uh, not a malevolence toward humans, but they have kind of a, a disregard and a disrespect toward humans. And are there some demons that, you know, would rather use humans instead of abuse humans? There, there are instances, um, even in, in biblical scripture, where uh, an angelic spirit, a spirit being, and it doesn't specifically say whether it's angelic or demonic, mm-hmm. but it is a lying spirit, which we assume is demonic, and it actually says in the presence of God, I volunteer to help, I will be a lying spirit to put lies into these false prophets' mouths. So um, it's very, very mysterious, a lot of those passages. So it's hard to, uh, you know, really delineate what is pure evil and what is pure mm-hmm. good in, in them. But we're talking, uh, we're talking like hypotheticals uh, in terms of the theology and in terms of the history of these. When you're out there in the field, I mean, you're encountering yes. evil. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, yes. And uh, but there is also on the re- on the reverse side those who can see 
the greater good, the good beyond us. And you were speaking to us uh, during the break about someone that you know of uh, who can see both angels and demons. Yes, yes. It's a, um, a boy. He's a young man actually now that has this, I don't know if you want to call it a gift, you want to call it a curse. It's, it's this, he is so psychically, he has such a, a level of psychic ability since a very young age, since around the age of five, that uh, he was the role model for the boy in the sixth sense. Of course, that boy sees dead people. He always mm-hmm. sees dead people. Well, in real, the real life story is uh, he sees more than just dead people. He sees actually the non-human element. He actually sees battles going on between angelic and demonic beings. Unfortunately, they've involved him uh, much of the time. And uh, he's the son of a dear friend of mine, Denise. And um, she is the author of a book called The Other Side, The Boy Who Sees Spirits. And uh, she she actually started her own uh, paranormal investigation group to help people with similar problems to what she and her son have gone through. So there is that realm there that that this boy actually does see this going on. And I would rather not see this going on constantly. Yeah, or, yeah. I, you know, I, I want to filter it out. You know, because that that can be very overwhelming, I'm sure. And and Renee, these angels, how much are they battling the demonic uh, without us even being aware of it? I mean, is this a part of their daily uh, daily struggles? I would say yes, definitely a part of the daily struggle. Um, this is something that it's a constant. It is a constant battle between both. Uh, I'm sure that they're go- they're constantly trying to keep it away from us as well. You know, I'm sure that there's more going on than what we possibly realize about uh, the evil that could be happening on this earth that's most likely being stopped in battle. And if if there is this battle constantly going on, uh, are, are we caught in the middle of it, or are we outside of it? I mean, are we, in, are we part of this battle? Are we part of it without even realizing it, or does this just happen on different planes than what we can comprehend? I think we're always caught in the middle of this. This is a battle that's been, um, you know, recorded. It's been going on for ages and ages. And um, this is, you know, ever since that we were, according to, you know, some scripture, ever since that we were created, they've been jealous of our freedom and our free will. And I think it's been a constant battle between the fallen ones and the ones that that are still doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now, uh, these these fallen angels, is there no way for them to ever get back into God's grace? Um, I don't think that there's a way. Do you know of anything, Keith? Well, they are... Um, they have made their choice. Seemingly, they have made their choice for eternity. And personally, I've dealt with these beings and other people who have dealt with these demonic beings. They do not seem to show any sort of remorse for what they've done. Sometimes they can be very, very pathetic because they're in a state of torment, but they seem to be willing to stay in the state that they're in. There is some interpretation, which some people have interpreted, interpreted that there is going to be some kind of renewal, and it's similar to smelting gold or purifying gold or refining a period, but um, I'm not sure about that. Some people interpret it that way, but... Uh, Ultimately, they seem to be what they are, and their their fate is sealed, and their their destruction is imminent. In other words, they're going to be removed from interfering with the human race. 
So eventually it is going to all dry up for them. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. They, they realize that they just have a short time left where they can interfere with human history and human civilization. And uh, so I believe they're really on the war path because of this. What is, what is their goal? Is it to, to eradicate humanity? Is it to turn humanity against God the way that they turned against God? It is to insult and hurt God through humanity through God's creation of humanity. If they can dehumanize a human being, bring them down to a debased level, then they've done their work. And what would be the end gain for them, though? I mean, can they? do they want to overtake heaven? Is it possible for them to? I mean, from all accounts, God is even more powerful than Satan. Yes. Oh, yes. Infinitely more powerful. And I don't believe they think they will actually be victorious. I think they want to do as much damage as possible because they know that their end is near. And uh, they want to take as many humans along with them into destruction as they possibly can. You know, what runs an eerie parallel to is a lot of these terrorist groups that are in the world today. Yes. Uh, The similar type of strategy and the similar type of, hey, we know that we're not going to reach this goal, but we want to make a dent, mm-hmm. and we want to make our mark. It, it just seems strange that some... Do you think maybe some of these groups pattern themselves after that, or is it just a, a coincidence of evil? I think it's it's in the very nature of this oppositional nature, and I think some of these groups or factions could be demonically influenced as well. And now, Renee, I'm sure that there are plenty of people who are religious and who worship God and who look to the angels and respect them just as much as they would God. Um, and also there are people who recognize demons and Satan himself in much the same way. Uh, is, is the fact that people do worship Satan and worship, you know, are these people lost to the angels? Are they, are they protective of these people as they delve into this, or do they just turn, their, turn a blind eye to them? Are you asking if um, people are turning a blind eye to the angels or well, I mean, if, if the angels are, are uh, do the angels abandon people that turn to the demonic or will they still protect them and still keep an eye out for them? I don't think that they would ever abandon uh, a person. I think that they would uh, try to help them as best as they could. I mean, if they go off on their, you know, worshipping Satanism, Satanism in their, their own ways, um, they still try to protect them and, and do what they can for them. I don't think that, think that they would ever give up on a human. Because uh, it is scary the level of commitment some people will make to the demonic, uh, more so than a lot of people will make toward God and, and, and toward the good side of things. So mm-hmm. It's nice to know that uh, somebody is watching out for them. Now, Renee, I do have a question for you that might be, uh, I, I don't want to say disrespectful, but it might be um, upsetting for people who are, of a religious nature, and they may feel that uh, we're belittling what angels are, and I'm not in any way doing that. I just feel that as part of what Spooky South Coast is and the topics that we cover, I do want to bring this up. And we talked about this on the phone prior. There are people who put forth the theory that angels, as they appear in religion, are actually just visitors from another planet who mm-hmm. have come down and you know influenced the way that earthlings live and we've taken it to be a religious context. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, how much have you read up on that subject, and, and is that something that's, uh, you know, underlying amongst all this, or is it just, you know, strange every once in a while that subject will pop up? Uh, I have heard a bit about it. Uh, about it. There's actually uh, a couple specials that I've seen on it as well on uh, TV, but 
it's interesting because it it actually goes into very in depth of all of the um, all of the points in the Bible where you see that somebody encounters an angel. Mm-hmm. You will normally see they don't see a full shape. It doesn't necessarily that that angel doesn't appear as a full person. It usually appears as just kind of a figure and that the, there's a light behind them, and the light is so bright that you can't see the, the details of the, you know, the creature that you're looking at. And there are theories out there that when they were having an encounter, the encounter was actually with an alien. You know, you tend to see in the movies the, um, the UFO, the bright spotlights of the UFO shining on the aliens, and you see just this one figure. And a, and a lot of abduction phenomena they describe as similar, you know, the bright, intense light and the figureless, featureless figure uh, in, in front of them. So, I mean, it is parallel, and I can understand mm-hmm. how people would say that. And plus, a lot of these older religions that go even pre-Christianity, uh, you know, they'll have depictions, you know, hieroglyphs, uh, you know, cave paintings of these beings that came down from the heavens and influenced them in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe, with the exception of you know the actual physical evidence of UFOs and alien presence, I mean, I think early on in early times, the signals kind of got crossed, and there might have been instances where it was one or it was the other, and they just came to be merged together. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree that... Um I don't necessarily know how I feel about UFOs. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle as far as that goes. But I do believe that there's a possibility that something else could be out there, and maybe we're confusing the two. Well, well, one of the things I recall uh, when early people were doing paintings of people with wings on them, one of the things with, with the representation of the wings was to represent that they came from the sky. Mm-hmm. That was one interpretation. Not so much that they actually had physical wings, but was a representation that they could use to indicate that this being was from the sky. Yeah, exactly. So, and but then uh, on the reverse side of that too, there are uh, some uh, recollections, some legends, and stories. And uh, I don't want to say, you know, stories, but you know, like some uh, suggestions, uh, perhaps biblical that. Angels could become human by cutting off their wings, um, and is that something that is, you know, talked about in religion, or is that kind of just like a Hollywood myth that fits a lot of, you know, films? I, I think that's more Hollywood than anything else. Because it's something that's really, uh, you know, taken off in terms of a storyline aspect for a number of different movies, and whether or not they're borrowing from each other. Mm-hmm. But that's not anything that you've you've read or heard. No, no, not at all. I, I don't, I don't know of anything. That that could be possible. All right. Well, Renee, we thank you for your your time this evening, uh, joining us to talk about angels in the angelic realm, and we, we'd love to have you come on again with us. Thank you. And uh, please stay in touch with us. And uh, if anybody has any questions that they'd like to to uh, send to Renee, uh, you do have an email address from the the Taps website, right? Yeah. If you go to the Taps website and then you go to Taps members. You can just click onto your picture too, right, Renee? Yeah, just fire right up that. Yeah, way. just go onto the uh, Taps members page at the uh, AtlanticParanormalSociety.com. Just go to members page and Taps members, and uh, 
you see her picture there, and uh, just click onto that. The message should get to her. And we'll also we'll post yep. your email address up on our site, SpookySouthCoast.com, as well. Okay. I'd like to say Renee is an excellent investigator. I know she was on one episode of Ghost Hunters where um, they were investigating the lighthouse, and uh, I guess she they showed her saving the day because she came up with back-out equipment during a power outage. But, uh, but she does a lot more than that. Uh, I've been on many cases with her, and uh, she is... Uh, quite an excellent investigator in her own right well thank you Keith. you're welcome all right so uh please please stay in touch with us and and we'll be in touch with you in the future because you know this is a subject that as uh more and more people are turning to religion in these troubled times uh they're going to want to know more about the angelic realm and and how they can interact and how they can help Mm -hmm. so uh that is renee smith she is the angelologist for the atlantic paranormal society and uh, Keith Johnson, the demonologist, is still with us. And, Keith, we want to spend these uh, last 15 minutes or so talking about the class that you have coming up through the South Coast Learning Group. Um, and we took the class the last time. It, it is excellent. I mean, if you want to learn about the paranormal, this is the class to take. Why don't you talk, uh, r- remind our listeners about exactly how it is that you approach teaching this this class. Well, we start from uh beginning. We start... In- Somebody can take this class whether they've had experience or no experience at all. This is their first exposure to paranormal investigation. We take them from step one, how we first began to become involved in paranormal investigation. We go step by step, how we go about accepting a case, taking on, interviewing the client, right up to the entire step-by-step of the investigation itself, how we analyze and review our evidence, And uh, that's the first part of the class. The second part of the class is spent on showing actual evidence, EVPs, which, of course, stands for Electronic Voice Phenomena, where a voice is actually captured on audio recording that you might not hear, but uh, later when you play the tape back, there's this voice speaking along with you or answering questions. And um, we show actual videotape of cases we worked on, where there is paranormal phenomena going on. We show an example of an alleged uh, demonic possession, whether it is authentic or not. We don't claim that it is or it is not. We let you make up your mind. But this is supposedly someone that has gone through demonic possession and and what they are seeming to go through. It's damn spooky either way. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is It is rather disturbing footage, too. It's not, not for the faint of heart, but we warn everybody ahead of time. But, um, yeah, and our next class is going on July 28th at the uh, South Bedford, Bedford Learning Connection, and um, we, we hope that you come out and see us. The information is on our website, nearparanormal.com. You'll see the information right there on the front page where you can um, look in on some of our classes. And uh, so that that's what's going on with us. Uh, and, of course, if you'd like to, to find out some more, too, you can also go to South Coast Learning's website, southcoastlearning.org, or you can call 508-997-9792. And the class is $35 for non-SEL members and $25 for members. And uh, it's at Dover Street's, uh, the, the facility on Dover Street, which is right across from the Elm Street Garage. So plenty of safe parking. Uh, the downtown area, I work over there at night. It's a great place uh, at night. You don't have anything to worry about. So go go over there, take the class, check it out. And, of course, we'll talk about it more in the coming weeks as well as we get closer to it because it's, it's really an opportunity not to be missed. But I think we have a call on the line for you, Keith. Okay, great. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you? Good. How are you? All right. Good. Um, what I was going to say is uh, the closing of the, a lot of the churches and, uh, well, actually Catholic churches and uh, things going on with 
some of the priests that have happened, I guess I'd be playing right into uh, evil uh, demons that would be, you know, just playing right into it. Well, some do say that it is it is uh, the demonic that is behind some of these uh, incidents that have happened. Um, I don't know if that's an excuse. Well, actu- actually, in my personal opinion, yes, the demonic does play a part in this, but I think we are ultimately responsible for our own our own uh, actions unless somebody is outright demonically possessed which is actually a rare phenomenon it does happen but it, it is a rare phenomenon to be completely possessed and taking over i think we're basically responsible for our own actions and uh the demonic usually can only go so far as to tempt oppress and tempt us and uh so while i do think the demonic does play a part in it i think a lot of it has to do with things have simply been swept under the rug for too long, and, and they're coming out into the public now, sadly, late for some people, but uh, that's my explanation of it. But, but, again, it would play, you know, it would be to the benefit. Um, for instance, uh, I, I believe that a lot of uh, people that said, oh, they're atheists, you know, they just they don't want in God we trust and all that. Well, how do we know, you know, what religion actually they do have? Mm-hmm. I'm saying we don't, you know, I, I don't believe half all, oh, you know, the atheists, they don't believe in anything. I just, I, I just don't believe it. I believe they have uh, ulterior motives, a lot of them. Yes, yes, that's true. I agree. I uh, agree. Usually, usually if somebody um, it goes around claiming over and over they don't believe, they don't believe, they won't believe unless they see. I usually read an underlying message in that, that they want to believe in something and they've been frustrated. Yeah, I, and I just... Uh, there, you know, what I mean, anybody. How do we know? And any judge that has a ruling over something, uh, we don't know what they do on their spare time. You know, what I mean, how they really believe. That's and, true. You know, okay, they can. Okay, we don't want in God we trust. Which I'm glad they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, they, it just to me, it's like suspicious of of a lot that's going on. It's all to me, it's happening too fast and too much. And actually, the you know. Um, it's the Catholic religion that's um, getting bashed mostly, I would say, because the Catholic uh, Church is what's closing. I'm not saying the priests are all this uh, demonic possession. I'm not saying none of that. Right. They, they made their choices. They made the wrong choices. And, but, and, and they should be aware if they're possessed, I think, more than a normal person would because of... Yeah, you know, they were just, uh, you know, I don't want to say just weak, but just, that was evil in the sense of, what they were doing. It was giving into a temptation. Right. And, uh, you know what I mean? A lot a, a lot of people will suffer, and uh, are suffering in the end. Mm-hmm. A lot of people stop, for instance, donations and all that. I'm not going to donate no more. I'm not going to do this and that. Well, so, a lot of people are very jaded and discouraged, in other words, right, right. these days. Right. Yeah. But in but, fairness, it's not necessarily the actions of the priests that have that have made the, you know, that have caused this. It's, it's not necessarily the... What the priest did, it's also how the church handled it as well. You know, when it became, when it came into light that the church covered some of this stuff up, uh, when it came into light that they, you know, were claiming they didn't have the money to pay the settlements to these victims that were, you know, deemed worthy of a settlement in court, when all this stuff started to come up, that's when it really started to turn. I, I think people, for the most part, were willing to forgive the indiscretions of. Of these priests, I mean, not not to make it right, 
but they were willing to not blame the entire Catholic religion on the actions of a few individuals. But when the structure of the Catholic Church comes out and tries to hide it, then it changes everybody's right. tune. I think the problem is mainly due to the media coverage of it. I mean, priests have had indiscretions all throughout history. It's just it wasn't spoken about. It was known that, you know, in the past that these things did happen, and they will probably continue to happen in the future. It's just that we now, as an information society, this information is now more readily accessible. And you're right, the church itself could have handled the situation better rather than trying to, you know, close everything off, sweep it under the rug and pretend it didn't exist or happen. Why not just come out and confront it right out front? But, but tying into what we're talking about here, too, I mean, for how many years did the church deny the idea of possession? Uh, for how many years did they sweep the idea of the demonic, you know, influencing human lives so strongly under the rug and not talk about it? And now that we have, you know, we have a new pope and there's a new influence on, you know, some of these, uh, you know, teaching new exorcists, bringing this back because they finally had to recognize that evil is very strong in the world and I, that to to try to deny it is, is pointless. I believe, uh, well, uh, just quickly, um, years ago, um, was in Dartmouth, we used to, there's young people riding around and, you know, going parking and all that and, it was this road we used to go down. I mean, really, when you shut off the lights, it was it was scary. And um, some nights we'd shut off the lights and just keep watching. You could see these little tiny lights flickering. I mean, a lot of little, little lights. And I used to talk, I had a couple of officers that was friends mm-hmm. of mine, and um, they'd find a lot of animals slaughtered. And I mean, it was a big group. I mean, I'd say times 20 or 30 you could see the make out the lights. And it was deep in the woods. I mean, you know, we didn't go investigate. I mean, it wasn't that stupid. But we was far enough that we would watch for a while. And, and how how big and how bright were they? It, well, we was not super far, but we could make out that it was tor- handheld torches. I mean, the way we were flickering, it looked like, you know, little matches. But they were really deep in the woods and back and, and forth, and, and there was a lot of them. What color were they? What color did they appear to be? Well, it was like a fire, fire is burning, you know. Mm-hmm. They were just, I guess they were doing it to see because you could not see in the woods without, you know, some form of like, they're super dark. So there'd be this flame-like light and then, you know, yeah. animals mutilated later on. Yeah, I mean, I, you know. So cult activity would be your suspicion. Oh, oh. Or a barbecue I, gone wrong. Yeah, <laughs> well. this, this was a, I mean, these, there was a lot of lights, I mean, uh, it was the same woods. Um, matter of fact, there was um, a, that girl years ago. It was a, a little some time after that she was found tied to the tree. Not that it had anything to do with it. Do you remember that? Well, yeah, and we have we have a regular uh, contributor here at Spooky South Coast, uh, Christopher Balzano, who runs the Mass Paranormal Crossroads website, masscrossroads.com, and he's actually looking into a lot of this stuff. Uh, and his book about the Freetown State Forest and some of the similar activity that's gone on there. Right. I mean, these woods were dark deep enough that nobody in their right mind is going to see that and go, well, let me go see what's going on. Mm-hmm. It was just too, you know, I, we'd, we'd, we'd be amazed at all the lights. Oh, man, there was a lot of people. I think you should try and get in touch with Chris Balzano and share some of this information with him because maybe this was a cult that was in this area and they utilized those woods just as much as they utilized the Freetown State Forest. I, I, I say this, you know, I don't think they went anywhere. I still say this. 
they still do, you know, cults big time. I know, I, I think it's California supposedly the biggest uh, amount, uh, but I think they're all over, and I think, you know, it just was amazed to me that, you know, and you know, these just can't be a couple of people, you know, a couple of friends. This has to be, and I mean, you never know, actually, my, my thing of it was you never know who would have been in it. Uh, I'm sure it was the thing they kept secret, and uh, it was just scary. I mean, we'd be stupid just sitting there looking, but, you know, kids are kids, and we're watching. And well, I'm sure, I'm sure Keith will agree with me uh, that a lot of the appeal here in the demonic to young and impressionable youth is that, you know, the good side, especially if you're involved in Catholicism or Christianity, you know, it's a lot of work to be good. It's yeah. a lot of work to, to get into heaven, but to embrace the demonic and to, you know, set yourself on a path for hell, it's a lot more fun and it's a lot more easy, too. Right, mm-hmm. right. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a wider road. Very easily, every, very easy to be led astray. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just, I, I just, when I see all these, I mean, the closing of the church, like I bring up again, it's just, it's, uh, it's not good science. Right, it's and a lot, a lot of thing, sign. yeah, a lot of thing about cult activity like this to this level, is that it's very easy to get involved in it, but it's it's much more difficult. Once you're in it, it's very difficult to get out because these these people will follow you, and I believe there's also demonic spirits that will keep an eye on you and watch you, and uh, it's it's very very hard to get, to get out of it once you're deeply enmeshed into it. All right, oh. so we we thank you, and we leave you with that advice of just stay away. You were smart to just stay away. Oh, yeah, I mean, that was years ago, and, yeah, I don't go back anymore, that's for sure. And I, I hope, you. hope <laughs> others will learn from your example. So we're just about out of time here. Have a good night. Uh, thank good you. night to you, too. And I uh, just want to remind everybody real quick one more time that uh, you can go to Keith Johnson's website, nearparanormal.com, uh, and that's where you can find out more information about his class, Ghost Hunting, Investigating the Paranormal. Uh, that's Friday, July 28th. And also, uh, you can go to the Atlantic Paranormal Society dot com, uh, check out the Angelology Department, the Demonology Department, if you'd like to learn more. So, Keith, we thank you for coming in. It's great to be here. Always a pleasure. And you're always welcome back anytime, Sandra as well, and also uh, and Renee. And so, we want you all to stay spectacular, everybody. We'll talk to you next week, where we got a few things working. And uh, stay tuned to the message board. We'll let you know what's going on. Stay spectacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow. I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen.